Take your Bibles and turn to the book of Luke, chapter 2. And as we begin the message today, does everybody have the outline? We have a very important introduction to the message today. It's going to be a quiz. Okay, so get out, get out your notes, get out a pen, and write down the four animals in Daniel chapter 7 that Daniel tells us about in his vision. What was the first animal? Don't look at the cover of your notes because you'll be cheating now. No, just kidding. So it's, it's actually there, but okay. So write down the animal and then right next to that, write the kingdom that it represents. So in other words, because we're going to talk today from Daniel chapter seven while you're doing that. Thy kingdom come. This passage of scripture. And even the Christmas season should lead us to pray, Lord, thy kingdom come. Jesus fulfilled all he was to fulfill during his first appearance. But that's not all he's called to fulfill. He will fulfill the remainder of prophecies in his second coming, thy kingdom come. And this passage of scripture tells us about these four worldly kingdoms beasts of the earth. So the four beasts and the four kingdoms they represented. Do you have them? The first beast was what? It was a a lion with that's extra credit credit, the eagle's wings. The wings is okay. Just said wings. And that represented what kingdom? That represented Babylon. What was the second animal? It was a bear with if you got the three ribs, that's extra credit. And that represented what kingdom? Medo-Persia. The third kingdom was represented by a leopard with four heads and four wings because God divided this kingdom into four parts after its main horn died. And this is the kingdom of Greece. And the fourth kingdom was what beast? A ten-horned, unnamed, ugly beast. This was the ugly beast, you could say. I put the unnamed conglomerate. I believe it's actually a conglomeration. Or it's accumulation of the previous beast. And this, of course, is the kingdom of Rome. So that's the quiz. Thy kingdom come, O Lord, because we don't want to be ruled by these beastly kingdoms of the earth. Now, as we begin, go to Luke chapter 2. In this great appearing of the angel to the shepherds, well known to us. And they said that the one who was going to be born in verse 10 and 11 is the Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Those three terms are are titles as well as represent the works of the Messiah. It's a title. He is the Savior, but it represents his work. He was going to die on the cross and rise again. He is the Christ. That's a title. But it represents his work of fulfilling all the messianic prophecies. He is Lord. That's a title. But this represents ultimately that he is God manifest in the flesh, but he's coming again to establish his kingdom. Now, notice what he says here in Luke chapter 2, where it says, Then suddenly in verse 13, there was a Great heavenly host praising God. And what were they saying? Verse 14. Can you read it with me? It says, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, 
goodwill toward men. Now, I don't discount that when somebody believes in Jesus, they'll have peace and they'll have goodwill toward men. But the ultimate fulfillment of this is, has not yet happened. There's not yet peace on earth. There's still war and oppression on earth. This will be fulfilled when Jesus comes back, establishing his kingdom. So even in his birth, it's promised that he would sit on the throne of David and bring true peace to earth. Amen? That's what our message will be in Daniel chapter 7. Before we go there, though, turn to one other passage, the one that was read this morning, Isaiah chapter 9. One of the reasons why I, I wanted to revisit this passage, which was also read on Wednesday night, is because some of these verses, I thought to myself even as I read them, what do they mean? And I figure if I don't know what them, now I know you're much smarter than me. Maybe you know what they mean already. But literally, as this passage was read this past Wednesday, I thought to myself, what in the world does that mean? Have you ever read a passage in the Bible where you thought that? I'm sure. So in Daniel chapter 9, amazing prophecy of Daniel, the first two verses were actually fulfilled during Jesus' earthly life, where Isaiah is prophesying that Jesus would minister in the area and region of Galilee. That dark area will see the light of the Lord. And Matthew tells us Jesus fulfilled Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 and 2 during his first coming. But the second parts of this passage are going to be fulfilled during even his second coming. But look in verse 4. This is the verse I said. What is he talking about? Isaiah says, for thou hast broken the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, as in the day of Midian. So he's talking here generally about how the coming of Messiah, establishing his kingdom on earth and his government of peace, he will break all the oppression of the world. That's what we just sang about in O Holy Night. In his name, all oppression shall cease. So here the staff of his shoulder is literally a rod like that, that a, somebody would hit his sl- a slave with, an oppressed. The rod, hit the rod of, hit the shoulder of somebody with a rod and oppress them. And it says he'll break the yoke. And it says the rod of his oppressor, as in the day of Midian. You know what that's referring to? Who defeated the Midianites? Remember? One of the judges, the early judges, Gideon. God raised up Gideon. And so here he's saying that the coming of Jesus Christ, he will destroy the kingdoms of the world. And it will be a, a rout, just as Gideon destroyed the Midianites. And then in verse 6 or verse 5, the basic point of verse 5 is all war is going to be finished. Now, is war finished on the earth? Not the last time I looked. But verse 5 says every battle of the warrior is with confused noise. You know what I thought of when I read that? I thought of the phrase, the fog of war. We've, we've all heard that. So that's kind of like what I think of in verse 5, that in this world, there's the fog of war. There's the battle of the warrior with confusion. War always brings confusion. Who's right? Who's wrong? What are they fighting about? War always brings confusion, and this world is full of war and full of woe. But, and it says the garments rolled in blood. That means war brings about bloodshed stains on your clothes but he says with the coming of christ and the coming of his kingdom of peace it says all of the weapons of war all the garments filled with blood from the from the uh, the, the bloodshed of war it will be burned in the fuel of fire it will be when christ comes that we will turn our swords into 
plowshares. We won't need weapons of war anymore. All the weapons, it says, will be just thrown into the fire. They'll be fuel for the fire. We won't need them because for unto us a child is born. So this is really a prophecy of the of the Messiah coming and establishing his kingdom. But he looks far ahead and says, first, he's going to be born. <laughs> so, so the connection between the birth of Christ to the kingdom of Christ. For unto us a child is born, a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder. And the government is then described in verse 7 as continually progressing. The increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. His government will will never fail. It will never fall like the the worldly empires of this world always fail. And because they always fail, every worldly empire has fallen. But his kingdom will not. He will sit on that throne of David and it will be established with judgment and with justice forever. And so... Thy kingdom come, O Lord. So now let's go, please, to Daniel chapter 7. And I'd like for us, before we though go into this passage, I'd like for us to pray together. And as we pray, I'd like for us to pray the Lord's Prayer at the end of my prayer. And we'll use the word trespasses. Can you stand together with me? Daniel chapter 7, if you could turn there, please. And let me read. I'll read verses 9 through 14, and then we'll pray. I beheld till the thrones were cast down, and the Ancient of Days did sit, whose garment was white as snow, and the hair of his head like the pure wool. His throne was like the fiery flame, his wheels as burning fire. A fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. Ten, a thousand thousands ministered unto him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The judgment was set, and the books were opened. I beheld then because of the voice of the great words which the horn spake. That's the Antichrist, that little horn. And I beheld even till the beast was slain. That is the kingdom of the Antichrist. And it says his body destroyed and given to the burning flame. As concerning the rest of the beast, they had their dominion taken away, yet their lives were prolonged. For a season and a time. And please read verses 13 and 14 with me out loud. I saw in the night visions and behold, one like the son of man came with the clouds of heaven and came to the ancient of days and they brought him near before him. And there was given him dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people, nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom, that which shall not be destroyed. Father, thank you now for this day. God, we pray in the name, the mighty name, the most holy, mighty name in all the universe, the name of Jesus, and pray, God, that you will command your blessings on us today, your people. We need your blessing. The blessing of you, O God, makes rich. You add no sorrow to it. And we cry out, even as Jacob of old, I will not let you go except you bless us, Lord. We need your strength. We need your power. So bless us today with your presence. Edify your saints, O Lord. Strengthen us and encourage us as we await your coming kingdom, Lord. We know just as surely as you came once, you're coming again. Thank you, Lord. And we ask you also to save the lost. If there's anyone under the sound of my voice who is not born again, 
that they will be saved, believing in you, Lord Jesus, that you are their sin bearer, that you rose again as resurrection and the life. You are alive and we can call upon you. Whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Lord, I pray that someone today will be saved by your grace and for your glory. And now, Lord, we pray that you would do a mighty work. And let's all pray together the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. That is a Daniel chapter 7 prayer. The Lord's prayer. Thy kingdom come. So we looked at the first part of Daniel chapter 7 last week. And we made the comparison that the kingdoms of the world are likened unto beasts arising out of the chaotic sea. Jesus Christ is the pure and holy son of man coming from heaven. What a contrast between the kingdoms of man and the kingdom of God. Make sure you're born again to be a part of the kingdom of God. So in this passage of scripture, we see the son of man is coming to the world that has been dominated by these bullies. You know, we hear a lot about bullying. These beasts are bullies. And he's going to defeat them. And he's going to establish his kingdom forever. And this passage gives us, I believe, three great reasons why we, as the people of God, during this Christmas season, can be praying, Lord, may thy kingdom come. The first, and just to again review, you already made 100% on your quiz, I'm sure, but to review the kingdoms of this world. I call them the inhumane kingdoms. They're not even human in their description. They're beastly. They're savage. They're vicious. They're murderous kingdoms. The inhumane character or description of these worldly empires. As these earthly empires rise like beasts from the chaotic turbulence of a sinful world ruled by Satan. Now, there's somewhat of a, a mystery here, a paradox, whereas this is our father's world. He is the king over all the world. He does have a sovereign plan that man cannot thwart. And yet he has given Satan rule. And the devil is called the god of this world. So there are these earthly kingdoms, these worldly kingdoms of Rome and Greece and, and, and so forth. And we said, yes, they're under the power of the devil. They're dominated by the devil. And yet God is still ruling overall. But the description of them is, is inhuman. And we talked about the regal lion. And here's Babylon, that Babylonian empire that the lion pictures with two wings of an eagle. And then we talked about the bear that ponders, is a ponderous beast, lumbering with mighty armies through the ancient world. And the bear had three ribs to represent three of the main kingdoms that it conquered. And then the swift leopard, which was Greece, he was the, the anti he was the opposite of the bear. The bear lumbers, but the kingdom of Greece had wings, and it's as if he didn't even touch the ground, conquering the world in such a brief amount of time. We talked about these last week. And then the crushing beast of Rome with teeth of iron 
with ten horns, and out of that horn, out of those ten horns came the most vicious horn of all, the Antichrist, which is still future. So the whole point of this is that the kingdoms of this world are conquering. They're lumbering. They're flying. They're crushing. And they're Antichrist. And they're, all of them are Antichrist in their way. So the first reason we pray, that's a good reason to pray thy kingdom come, right? Because of the kingdoms of this world, so full of perversion and war. The second reason is because of the inescapable judgment, or you can even use the word justice by the Father. The inescapable justice that the Father is going to bring. Why do we pray thy kingdom come? So that there could be justice established on the earth. So all the evil doers could get justice, could get judgment. And this passage is an incredible passage, a unique in all the Bible in the sense of we get a vision into the throne room of God. Now, there's other verses like that, but this is very unique. And we even see the, the ancient of days, the father, interact with his son called the son of man in this passage of scripture. But we see the we see the glory of our God and his inescapable justice. Now, this is an interesting picture, I think, of the throne of God. How do we know what it looks like? <laughs> but we see these descriptions in the Bible. And of all the pictures I've seen, this has some elements that I see in the Bible. For example, the throne itself is is pictured with light. And even here, it's fire. There's fire around the throne of God. And we see even this picture talks, you, you see the seven, it has seven lamps of fire that the book of the Revelation talks about. It has the seraphim with the, the head of the ox and a man and an eagle and, and the lion. And that, that's pictured here. And then it, uh, Revelation also talks about the 24 elders that are all sitting around the throne. And then a great vast multitude. And so here's a picture of the throne room of God. And here in, in Daniel chapter 7, beginning at verse 9, he says the thrones were cast down. Now, that could speak of the, the, the empires of the world were all defeated. The, their thrones were cast down and their time of judgment was come. But the throne of God was established and set up to judge the kingdoms of this world. And the ancient of days is set. Now, let me just back up for a moment and, and kind of lay out the timing of where we're at. And I'll just use my cursor here. So here's a complicated chart to lose you. But I don't want to lose you. We're not going to look at everything on this chart. But here's the earth. You, see where my, you can see where my cursor is. Here's the earth. And this passage says nothing about the church. It says nothing about the timing of the rapture. That's not the point of the message today. The point of this message is the judgment of God and the coming of Christ to establish his kingdom. So I want to look right here, right where, <laughs> right up here where you can't see because the bar is across the thing. Can we get rid of that somehow? Can, you, can we move it? Or maybe can I, maybe I can move it. I know, right? Careful. Yeah. You get it, get rid of it down here. Okay. So here we are, the revelation of Jesus Christ. This is in Revelation chapter 19 when he comes in glory. That's where this Daniel chapter 7 brings us. The, what we would call the tribulation time, that seven-year period of time is over. The Antichrist kingdom has come to an end. 
The, the Father is going to bring judgment to the Antichrist with the coming of Jesus Christ. Now, at, the, at this passage also, we're going to see the Antichrist is judged. And according to Revelation chapter 19, verse 20, he's going to be cast into the lake of fire. So this is where we are at in Revelation chapter 7. We're at the Revelation return. We're just before he's going to return. That's in verse 13. But in verse 9, we're still in heaven and we're seeing the judgment of the nations. The inescapable judgment of these world empires by our Father. Now, look at the description of God. We see his purity. His purity is described in his garment, which says his garment was white as snow. Now, the amazing thing is, is who has seen the Father? He's invisible spirit. No man has seen God. He dwells in the light to which no man can approach. But here... Daniel, in a vision, sees God, not that God can be seen, but in the vision, he sees God. And what he sees is a revelation of his infinite character. And what the first thing he sees is the purity of God, the complete, absolute, total holiness of God. Because holiness is, I believe, the fundamental attribute of God. It is what they sing around the throne of God. Holy, holy, holy. Lord God Almighty, Isaiah chapter 6, Revelation chapter 4. That's the only, and we see that twice. Holy, holy, holy. Three times because of, I believe, the three persons of the Trinity. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We serve a thrice holy God. And they don't sing loving, loving, loving. Although God is loving. But holiness is his fundamental attribute. His garment was white as snow. Then we see his eternality. His head was like pure wool. I believe that this, this represents his countless years. His eternal being. He's called the ancient of days. He's from everlasting to everlasting. He inhabits eternity. His eternality. The amazing thing is, is that this character of the father is also seen by John when he had the vision of Jesus in Revelation chapter one. Isn't that amazing that the son is described in the same way as the father? His head was had hair of pure wool. So we see they're distinct persons. But they have, they're of the same substance or of the same essence. They share the same attributes, the Father, Son, and Spirit. One God, three distinct persons. But we see his eternality. We see his authority. Now notice his, the description of his throne. It says his throne was like the fiery flame. So again, we have his garment. We have his hair and his head, and here we have his throne. His throne itself was a flame on fire. And the wheels of the throne, wheels on a throne, yes, almost as if it's a chariot, was a burning fire. So everything about the throne is fire. And then don't even stop there. Look at the next verse 10. A fiery stream issued and came forth out of the throne. So three descriptions of fire. The throne itself was on fire. 
The wheels were of fire. And out of the throne was a stream, a river of fire. This speaks of his absolute authority. And wheels. What do the wheels speak of? It speaks wheels. When you, when you got wheels, you say, hey, man, I got wheels. I can go places. With wheels, you move. So the wheels on the throne means his authority extends to where? Everywhere. To the whole earth. He has wheels on his throne because he's the king of the universe. And then we see his severity. Because again, a fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. Now, this is a judgment passage. This is before Jesus Christ is going to come back on a white horse with the raptured church, I believe, with on white horses behind Jesus. And he's going to have a sword out of his mouth. But before he does this, the Father is issuing his judgment upon these worldly kingdoms. This is the judgment of the Ancient of Days upon these worldly empires and the Antichrist, specifically. Now, the fiery stream flowed almost, it's like a river of fire, like a lava. And we actually have pictures of that on Earth when a volcano erupts. It's a river of, of fire, like a fiery river, right, of lava. What a comparison between the judgment of God and those of us who are born again and parts of his kingdom. What comes out of the throne of God in the eternal kingdom of God? Remember, go to Revelation chapter 22. What comes out of the throne? So here out of the throne is a stream of fire. What comes out of the throne of God when we're with the Lord without the curse of sin? Revelation chapter 22, verse 1. What does it say? What comes out of the throne? What? A river of the water of life. So on the one hand, a judgment of the, of the wicked world is a river of death, of fire. And then for us, a river of life. What kingdom are you a part of? What kingdom? Make sure that you're saved or you will also experience a fiery stream, even of hell. So we see his severity, his authority, his eternality, his purity. But then we see that there were thousands ministering with him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. This is quite an amazing thing. In other words, when God brings this judgment to these wicked empires, he doesn't do it in secret. He could shut the door and say, this is a private judgment. And he would be right if that's what he did. But he doesn't. He does it openly. There's 10,000 times thousands, millions watching there in the heavenly realm. And he puts it in the Bible for us to see. So God is transparent. He's not hiding what he's going to do. He's telling us clearly. And when God brings such a judgment, he's absolutely right because he is holy. And it says in the book of 1 Corinthians, Paul writing to the church, he says, Do you not know that the saints 
shall judge the world. So somehow we're involved in this. Obviously, Jesus Christ is involved because Jesus says all judgment has been committed to me. But this is the judgment of God, beloved. We see his transparency in his judgment. He's open about it. And then we see his fidelity. His fidelity is seen in the books that are opened. It says the judgment was set and the books were opened. Now go, I would like for you to turn to Revelation chapter 20 because it's very interesting that here it says the books were open. The only other time in a, in a time of judgment like this where the books were opened is what we call the great white throne judgment. But the books were open. What does this tell us? That his judgments are not arbitrary. He's not just making stuff up. The books were open shows accurate records, accurate, legal, public documents, if you will. The judgments speak, come out of books, legal records, irrefutable. Justice is going to be done. The books were open. And this was also spoken of at the great white throne judgment, where it says in Revelation chapter 20 and verse 12. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God and the books were opened. And I thought that was very interesting because, again, let me show you this little chart. This is where we're at in Daniel chapter seven. We're at just before Christ returns to the earth. To establish his earthly kingdom on earth. He's going to bring the, this is often called the judgment of the nations. It's also in Matthew chapter 25. Jesus brings judgment to the nations where he separates the, the sheep from the goats. That's often called the judgment of the nations. This is the judgment of the nations. This is where Jesus comes back with the sword out of his mouth to complete the battle of Armageddon. And what's going to happen in Daniel chapter 7, this is also quite incredible. It says in Daniel chapter 7, verse 11, I beheld then, because of the voice of the great words which the horn spake, I beheld even till the beast was slain. Now the beast is the Antichrist. His body destroyed and given to the burning flame. Now go to Revelation. Go back to Revelation chapter 20. And when Jesus comes back with the sword out of his mouth, as king of kings, lord of lords, his name written on his thigh, Revelation chapter 19 and verse 19, it says, And I saw the beast, the kings of the earth, and their armies gathered together to make war against him. This is what Jesus will face. That sat on the horse and against his army. And the beast was taken, and with him the false prophet, that wrought miracles before him with which he deceived them that had received the mark of the beast and them that worshiped his image. And then what does it say at the end of verse 20? These were both cast alive into a lake of fire burning with brimstone. So here we are at the revelation of Jesus Christ. He's going to come back and he's going to kill the Antichrist. Because it says in Daniel that the beast was slain. It's appointed unto man once to die. The Antichrist was a man. He died. But for the judgment, 
He's going to stand before God. And then in Revelation, it says he's cast alive into the lake of fire. So the books were opened. The judgment was accurate. All the truth and nothing but the truth was, was spoken. And he's cast where? Into the lake of fire. And he's the, the Antichrist and the false prophet are the first two that are ever going to go into that lake of fire. The books were open. And the result of that judgment is they were cast into the lake of fire. That's a very serious, I mean, think about how serious that judgment is. So the books show that was absolutely just and accurate. So the other time the books were opened was where? At this great white throne judgment. This is going to be a thousand years later, but the books are going to be opened again at this great white throne judgment to show again just and accurate judgment that is irrefutable. Nothing arbitrary about the judgment of God. Very serious. And those unsaved dead at the great white throne will be cast where? Into the lake of fire also. So my point is the books being opened show the seriousness of the judgment, the absolute just accuracy and the necessity for a written record of the judgment because of the incredible awfulness of its results that God is absolutely right. The lake of fire is what is deserved. Make sure you're born again, because if you're not saved, you'll be with the Antichrist and even the devil and his angels in the lake of fire. People actually foolishly think they're going to be with their friends drinking beer in hell. That is a lie from hell. <laughs> There's nothing good, nothing at all, anything Positive to think about being in this place of the lake of fire. Jesus was born to save you from it. For unto us this day is born in the city of David a Savior from this lake of fire, which is Christ, the only one who could take the book. The Lord who is the judge of all. So... Thy kingdom come, O Lord, because of your inescapable justice, to bring justice to a world that has been so unjust. Thy kingdom come to bring judgment to these inhumane empires of this world that have brought so much war and death. And thirdly, Thy kingdom come, O Lord, because of the inescape, because of the indestructible kingdom of your son. The indestructible, thy kingdom come, Lord Jesus. Set up your kingdom that will never fall. Whereas the other kingdoms all fell. The kingdom of Babylon fell to Medo-Persia. Medo-Persia fell to Greece. Greece fell to Rome. The kingdoms of men fall. Why do they fall? Because they're failure. there's fail, failure in each of these kingdoms. But the kingdom of God will never fall. How come? Because he will never fail. He will always be just, always be righteous, always bring peace. The indestructible kingdom. Now look at Daniel chapter 7. These verses are truly wonderful, amazing. 
How amazing? I'll tell you in just a moment. Daniel chapter 7, verse 13, I saw in the night visions, behold, one like unto the Son of Man came with the clouds of heaven. He came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. So before Jesus comes to earth, he comes to his Father, the Ancient of Days. And here we see interaction between Jesus, the Son of Man, and the Father, the Ancient of Days, in heaven before he comes back to earth. Hallelujah. Man, this is like in-depth stuff. We get the, a vision of this. And then the Father gave him dominion and glory. Now, think about this also. I don't want to lose you too much here, but in a way, in these verses, he came. Jesus came to the Father. He came near before him. And what was given to him? The kingdom was given to him. Verse 14, right? The kingdom was given to him. And then he's going to come back and establish the kingdom on earth. Now, this is here, what we've been saying. This is where we are at this revelation return. Jesus takes the kingdom. But before the tribulation started, remember, there was a book and John was weeping because no one could take the book and open its seals. And he was weeping. But Oh, one was worthy to take the book. And who was he? Jesus. Jesus took the book from the Father. So here, Jesus interacted with the Father and took the book. The seals, the judgments, the trumpets, the vials were all poured out upon the earth. The judgments are complete. And now Jesus is going to come back and he's going to take the kingdom. So here's the second interaction between Jesus and his Father in Daniel chapter 7. In this context, anyway. And he's going to establish his indestructible kingdom. Now, who is this son of man? Verse 13. Who do you think this son of man is? You say, Pastor, that's like a really dumb question. We all know who. We know. You know who the son of man is. Who's the son of man? I don't go. Jesus. Amen. Any doubt in your mind? There's no doubt in my mind. It's amazing when you read commentaries. They, different people say this and they say some. I can't believe anybody who wouldn't believe this is Jesus as the son of man. Do you know why? Because Jesus was asked this. Go to Mark 14. Go to Mark 14. This very important passage of scripture. Jesus was asked by the high priest at his tr religious trial. And the high priest said, are you the son of the highest? Are you the Christ, the son of the highest? And Jesus said in Mark chapter 14, look how he answered. He answered with Daniel chapter 7, verse 13. So how do I, how do I know for absolute certain that Daniel 7, 13 refers to Jesus Christ and that Jesus Christ is the son of man? Jesus told us so. Mark chapter 14 and verse 61. The priest said, art thou the Christ? the son of the blessed, verse 62, and Jesus said, I am. Somebody's tell, I've heard people actually say, oh, Jesus never said he was the son of God anywhere in the Bible. Right there, he sure did. Are you the son of the highest? Are you the son of God? Are you the Christ, the Messiah? And he said, I am. And then he answers with Daniel seven fourteen. 
and you shall see the Son of Man. He uses that same expression. Sitting on the right hand of power, coming, sitting on the right hand. In other words, he got the kingdom from his father and coming in the clouds. So we have those three elements in Daniel 7. He's called the son of man. He's riding on the clouds and he gets the kingdom from his father, acting, if you will, under the authority of his father. I am, he said. Now, the son of man, when we hear that expression, and it was a favorite expression of Jesus in the Gospels. It's used by Jesus throughout the Gospels more than 30 times in Matthew alone. When we hear that phrase, we may think Jesus is just emphasizing his humanity. Well, the term son of man does emphasize his humanity and reminds us that unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. Yes, he was born, according to Isaiah 7:14. a virgin shall conceive. He is fully man. But that title son of man emphasizes his deity because he's coming in the clouds and clouds are the vehicle of god god rides on the wings of the wind and rides in the chariots which are like clouds god's chariot is a cloud god doesn't ride in toyotas and hondas and fords he rides in the clouds his vehicle of choice and jesus christ says i am And you shall see the son of man sitting on the right hand of power and coming in the clouds. Quite incredibly, when the high priest heard Jesus make this statement in verse 63, what did he do? What did the high priest do? He rent his garment. He shouldn't have done that. That's the only time in the Bible where a high priest rent his clothes. A high priest was not to rent his clothes. A high priest's clothes were made not to be torn. There was no seam in his clothes. Because the rending of clothes spoke of a total loss of hope, a grief and an emotion of total distress and despair. And a high priest should never have felt that emotion because he had access to go to God with that grief. He rent his clothes. He was the one in error. <laughs> if anyone should have rent his clothes at that time because of all that he was going through was Jesus Christ. But Jesus Christ was actually the great high priest. And when they gambled for his garments at the cross, guess what? His clothing was like the clothing of a high priest. It was sewn without seam. That's why they, some of his garments, they divided amongst themselves. But his main garment was without, it was the, the garment of a high priest. Jesus didn't rent his garment because he was never at a loss, a total loss without hope. He rent his clothes. But Jesus said he was this one in Daniel chapter 7. He is the one coming. So the indestructible kingdom of his son, we see his coming as the son of man. Let me just say this also. And maybe this will put a fresh light when you read the Gospels and you read the phrase son of man. Jesus is claiming to be the God man. When Jesus said, Every time Jesus says the son of man, 
He is claiming to be this one who's coming in the clouds in Daniel chapter 7. He is referring to this passage of scripture. He's coming in the clouds. He comes to the Father. He comes to the earth. Remember when Jesus ascended? When he ascended, what took Jesus out of their sight? It says a cloud took him out of, received Jesus out of their sight. And then the angel said, you men of Galilee, why stand you gazing into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner. In other words, he went up with the cloud and he's coming back in the clouds. Daniel chapter 7, his coming. And then we see his crowning. Daniel chapter 7, this is verse 14. So verse 13 is his coming. Verse 14 is his crowning. Now go back to the scripture. And this is the kingdom for which we pray. People who are praying, thy kingdom come. Yes, Lord, may your kingdom come and set up your indestructible kingdom and bring about your inescapable justice to the peoples and nations of this world and defeat the inhumane character of these empires that have brought so much woe and pain and war. Set up your kingdom. Now, a few things about Jesus' kingdom, just like these kingdoms he was replacing, his kingdom will be an earthly kingdom. But unlike these other kingdoms, all these earthly kingdoms were temporary. Jesus' kingdom is eternal, right? In verse 14, it says it will never pass away. It's an everlasting. He will have everlasting dominion. Jesus' kingdom will never fail, and therefore it will never fall. It is a... And it will be an absolutely universal kingdom where the other kingdoms, many men have actually tried to rule the whole world. And even these, we call them world empires of Babylon and Greece and so forth. None of them actually literally ruled the entire world. But Jesus is will. He will be, he will be the king and establish the kingdom that our hearts yearn for. I mean, Think of this, like we have a United Nations. Why do we have a United Nations? Because there is a heartthrob in each of us, in all the nations of the world, to bring peace. And that we could all be one. (laughs) That we could all just have, can't we all just get along? Can't we just be together? Why do we have to have all these divisions? Well, it's because of human sin. But when Jesus comes, it will actually bring about what we all most desperately want. So don't fight Jesus. Believe in Jesus. Trust him. Because only Jesus can bring about what we really want in this world. His kingdom where there will be no oppression, no injustice, perfect peace and righteousness. It will be all across the world for all eternity without any failure. And it will never fall. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. So for us today, peace on earth, goodwill to men. Have the peace of God ruling in your heart. Let the king Come into your heart. Don't say there's no room in my inn for Jesus. Open up your heart to Jesus. 
Make room for him to be your savior. He's the only one who can save you from sin. Let him ride forth and set up his wonderful kingdom in your heart today. And then live out your life on this world as a citizen, first and foremost, of his kingdom that will never fail. Live out doing his will, doing his work for his glory. Let's stand together as we pray today. Thy kingdom come, O Lord. Because of the inhumane character of this world, O God, may your kingdom come. Your kingdom of perfect humanity, glorious deity. Your kingdom come so that your inescapable justice, O Father, would be fulfilled. Because sometimes we cry out like those martyred souls under the altar. They cry, how long, O Lord, how long, holy and true, until you bring about this justice. Vengeance is yours, Lord. We await your perfect vengeance upon all the evils done in this world. So much evil. But thank you, Lord, that man is not going to escape your perfect justice. When your kingdom comes. And thank you, Lord. May your kingdom come. May your indestructible kingdom of peace and righteousness come. And set up your, your order, your brand new order. Men talk about a new world order, but the new world orders of men are just more sinful kingdoms of human greed. But Lord, your kingdom will be a kingdom of real peace. Thank you, Lord. Our heads are bowed and eyes are closed. And who would say, Pastor Matt, I know Jesus is my Savior. He was born to be the Savior. He was born to fulfill all the promises of the Messiah. I believe he did. He was born to be Lord. And I've confessed, I confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And I want him to take rule of my life. That's my heart. That's my desire to be a Christian, to be truly saved, and to live out my Christian testimony. How many could say, Pastor Matt, I have been saved. I have asked Jesus to forgive me of my sins. I have believed that he died on the cross and was buried and rose again bodily from the grave. I have called upon the name of the Lord, and I'm saved. As the Bible teaches, one can be saved when we believe in Christ. Can I see your hand? Just put your hand up to the Lord. Even if you're out there in Zoom tonight, this afternoon, put up your hand and say, yes, I've been saved. Jesus is my Savior. He is my Lord. I thank you so much, Lord God, for saving me. Hallelujah. Come soon, Lord Jesus. You can put your hands down. Is there anyone who'd say, Pastor Matt, pray for me? And if you could, if you need salvation, just let us know even on the chat. And we could get, we could see your need there and we could contact you. And don't be ashamed. Say, well, somebody might see that I'm not a Christian. Who, that, who cares? <laughs> we care about your soul. You need to care first about your soul, not what people think about you. What does God say about you? You need to be saved. Or call us. There's, there's different ways to go about it. But if you need Jesus, call us. Get in touch with us. Email me or one of the deacons, Pastor Carmine, or leaders in our church that we can share the love of Jesus with you. We want you to be saved. Thank you, Lord, now for this day. We praise you, O God, for your mighty love.
and may your kingdom come. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.